This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Billboard's Senior Director of Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. And something, 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 something. The merry bells keep ringing, Keith. Happy holidays to you. (laughs) Happy holidays. Uh, Christmas (laughs) is just around the corner. New Year's is just another corner around the bin after that just around then, the river bend and then soon it's going to be saint patrick's day yes <laughs> that, that will all make sense soon that will all make sense <laughs> in just a moment because as always the billboard pop shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on billboard's weekly charts in addition you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news fun chart stats and stories new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Adele holds court again atop both the Billboard 200 Albums chart and the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart with 30 and Easy On Me, respectively. Plus, SZA makes a splashy debut straight into the top 10 on the Hot 100 with her new single, I Hate You. Well, half of the Top 100's Top 10 are holiday tunes. Oh, it's that time of year. Plus, (laughs) with Christmas right around the corner, we are joined by a friend of the podcast who also happens to have a new holiday album out, Darren Chris. Yay! The singer-songwriter slash actor slash jack-of-all-trades stops by to talk about his album, which is aptly titled A Very Darren Christmas, and includes covers of familiar favorites, a couple of original tunes, and new holiday twists on some perhaps surprising songs. So stick around for that in just a minute. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. All right, let us do the chart chat. First up, Adele's 30 racks up a third straight and total week at number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart dated December 18th. The set earned 193,000 equivalent album units in the United States in the week ending December 9th. Still selling. What now? Still selling. Still selling and streaming. Seriously. Remember, remember that's a units number, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it's album sales. Um, And of course, that's according to MRC data. 30 continues to be a sturdy performer as it actually has the third, sorry, the largest third week for any album in more than three years. So basically, if you look at any album 
in its third week of release. The last album to have a bigger third week was Drake's Scorpion back in July of 2018. So, um, you know, that makes sense. Drake and Adele, besties. It makes total sense. Yeah. Um, I'm waiting for the Drake and Adele collab album. Oh, I mean, it, honestly, it could it's, a matter, happen. it's only a matter of time, legitimately. I mean, in theory, yeah. it could happen. I mean, um, yeah, thinking of how collaborative Drake is, that just feels like a ma- real matter of time. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the 30-album single, Easy On Me, the lead single from the album, Easy On Me, spends a seventh total week at number one on the Hot 100. In the tracking week ending December 9th, Easy On Me drew 85.4 million in radio airplay audience impressions and 20.7 million in U.S. streams and sold a little over 9,000 in downloads. That's all, of course, in the United States. Uh, Hot 100 chart manager Gary Trust points out online that Easy, uh, with its seventh week at number one, now makes uh, Adele having my my verb con- <laughs> noun nothing's agreeing with one another <laughs> nothing's agreeing with one another what i'm trying to say is now that easy has had a seventh week at number 1 this is the third single for Adele with at least seven weeks at number 1 okay there it is thanks um, that was not easy on keith no it wasn't <laughs> so before easy on me uh, hello spent 10 weeks at number 1 and Rolling in the Deep had seven weeks at number one. So now Adele is thus only the sixth artist with at least three number ones that each spent at least seven weeks at number one. These Truly, are challenging, challenging stats. Yeah, I, I, the, the, <laughs> the, they are very impressive stats, and they're ones that only Gary could summon up. But the the largest third week versus the third largest week, and the then the three songs with the seven weeks, at, et cetera, it's all it's all and the hiving and the clavin. <laughs> uh, as as I note in our script notes, I say these are stats only chart geeks and publicists could love. <laughs> um, well, the other acts. That have had at least three number ones on the Hot 100 that were each at least seven weeks apiece at number one are Drake, who has five. Drake. Yeah. Uh, Mariah Carey, Rihanna, both with four, and Beyonce and Boys to Men, each with three. So in a way, it's like a very sort of it's a unique distinction to have multiple like three songs each spend seven weeks at number one. Yeah. Um, and it's a very limited group of people. I realize it's a very distinct and unusual statistic, but, you know, we kind of live for that stuff. It makes you, uh, you know, I feel like a lot is made of Adele and Drake's friendship as if it's weird or something. But in actuality, they're in like this rare, like VIP club that only they understand, like in the way that they dominate commercially. And so, of course, they're friends. <laughs> you know, they actually have a lot to talk about. <laughs> I was watching, um, slightly off topic, I was watching an interview with Adele. Adele was talking about her friendship with Drake and 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 basically trying to drive home the idea that her and Drake um, can understand one another as artists in a way that many others could not. And she specifically cited how both of them grew up in a time of albums where albums were a body of work, and that is how you you listened to an artist's, you know, artistry. 
And their initial output in the world was in an album-oriented world. You know, when Adele put out her first album, when Drake put out his first album. And they've both had to transition to a time that has been track-focused, streaming-focused, TikTok-focused, and it's a very different world. So and yet she was have both yeah. continued to thrive. So, yes. yeah, 100%. So, anyway, I mean, yeah. Um, moving on, uh, also in the top 10 on the Hot 100, um, as Andy Williams' classic holiday tune, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, returns to the top 10, rising 11 to 10. There are now five holiday tracks in the top 10 this week. He joins Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, Brenda Lee's Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, Burl Ives' A Holly Jolly Christmas, and Bobby Helms's Jingle Bell Rock at numbers two, three, five, and six, respectively. And I suspect that number will only grow in the next Indeed. week or two. Uh, lastly, at number seven on the Hot 100 is a new entry from SZA with I Hate You, marking her fifth top ten hit. It was released on December 3rd officially after a version of the song was previously released via SoundCloud and then went viral on TikTok. In the tracking week ending December 9th, the song garnered 26.7 million streams, a little under a half million in radio audience, and just under 5,000 copies sold. So obviously this is a streaming smash. Alrighty then, that's, that's, that's our chart chat for the week. And now it's time for our interview with Darren Chris. The singer, songwriter, and actor, and all-around entertainer, caught up with us on Zoom for an in-depth conversation about his first holiday album, the aptly titled A Very Darren Christmas. The set was produced by longtime industry executive Ron Fair, who has produced Hot 100 hits for the likes of Christina Aguilera, The Black Eyed Peas, Mary J. Blige, and Lady Gaga, to name a few. On the album, which is Chris's first for Decca Records, he includes collaborations with Adam Lambert on Everybody's Waiting for the Man with the Bag, which recently debuted on Billboard's Adult Contemporary Airplay chart, Evan Rachel Wood on Somewhere in My Memory, which was initially written and recorded for the 1990 film Home Alone, country singer Lainey Wilson on a new original tune called Drunk on Christmas, and Lizzie McAlpine on Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. The deluxe edition of the album also includes another original Chris tune, The Festive and Merry Christmas Dance. While the album includes covers of familiar favorites like The Christmas Song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, and Happy Holidays! Chris also includes some possibly surprising selections like a wintry rendition of John Mayer's St. Patrick's Day. Wrong holiday, Darren, but you'll you should talk or listen to our talk and you'll see what that's about. And an uptempo arrangement of Joni Mitchell's classic piano ballad, River. And uh, just around the corner for Chris are two concerts, a December 20th show at the Beacon Theater in New York, which will also be live streamed, as well as a New Year's Eve show with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra in San Francisco. That would be funny if it was in some other city, wouldn't it? Uh, Information on both shows can be found on DarrenChris.com. So now take a listen to our chat with Darren Chris. Get up, get down. Well, come on, it's Christmas. Welcome back to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast, Darren Chris. Hey. Thank you for having me back again. How, I, one more time and I get a free smoothie, right? I don't know what my uh, punch card is if I've done it how many times? Uh, 32. I think you wow. need like a smoking jacket, like the SNL Five Timers Club. Yeah, you there's need to get a, something like that. I'll take whatever I can. I'm just happy <laughs> to be here, guys. 
nice to see you. Thank you. Thank you for being here once again. Of course. Um, Okay, so your first holiday album, A Very Daring Christmas, is out now. Um, It's got familiar favorites and a deluxe edition came out a little while ago that um, has a a new original song. So it brings the total of original songs on the album to two. Drunk on Christmas, uh, featuring Lainey Wilson, and Christmas Dance. Christmas Dance is the the new track, one of the new tracks that you added on. Um, so, simple question: Why did you want to do a holiday album, and why was this year the right time to do one? Uh, there's so many answers to this. Um, we've spoken enough, Keith, to the point where you know. I don't know if the listeners would know or particularly care, but I have a very uh, almost academic relationship with music consumption. It's not like some thoughtless commodity in my life. It's a very proactive hobby, much like it is for you and your colleagues. You know, we consume this stuff with just a slightly more heightened degree of enjoyment because we look at the innards of it, we contextualize it. It's not, it's not a passing fancy. Not that there's anything wrong with if that's the way music functions in your life. But having said that, every year, every, you know, one month out of the year, every year, the music game completely changes the songs that are on the radio, the albums that are being made, the things that we see on television and the mood that we're in changes as far as what we're willing to, to consume. That anomaly is so unique that I cannot help but be so obsessed with just the, the outlier that Christmas music is a genre. It's not just a time of year. It is a full on genre where the rules are different. So having said all that, as an academic, every year this happens, I can't help but say to myself, how would I do this? You know, just in the same way, if I heard a bluegrass album or a standards album or an R&B album, and I listen to it and I go, here's what I love about it. Here's what I would do if I was to make an album. You never really do actually do it. It's just sort of amusing in the back of your head. So um, this was a long time coming, you know, after 30 plus years of hearing Christmas albums going, here's exactly what I would do. Here's what I would want to do. And I've always kept a list for many, many, many years of exactly the songs I would have, how I would do them. And uh, I kind of got as close as I could get to what that album was. So this wasn't, this wasn't just something that came out of the blue. I've always wanted to do it. And it's just a matter of having the time. And as we all know, the strangest thing happened the past year and a half. And the stars just kind of aligned between uh, my old friend, Ron Fair um, of Ron Fair fame uh, and uh, a gentleman named Graham Parker, uh, who was at Decca Records, who kind of shepherded this whole thing together, where it was just one of those things where it was brought up at the right time. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not doing anything as of now on the calendar and it seemed like a great fit. So, um, it all worked out. It it really all worked out, but I've always wanted to do this. And, um, Keith, you know, I'm talking if I'm sorry, I'll just get right into the, the goal with it. I, I was, I never wanted, if I was going to make a Christmas album, I didn't want it to be, or seem in the slightest, like a surface level sort of commercial cash grab. That Mm -hmm. was like, the the anti what I wanted to do. If I was going to do it, it had to be very, very, very me, which requires a few things. It has to have left of center choices musically, things that people don't know at all. It's it's going to be seemingly cheeky, but hopefully a lot of sort of pathos. Um, just a lot of stuff that I subscribe to and uh, trying to whittle that down to make it the most sort of honed version of what I just said. 
um, was like the goal and the obsession for the past year. And that's why it's called a very daring Christmas other than the obviously convenient ton of my last name. It's it is a very me thing possible with who's on it, how I recorded stuff, how I produce stuff, how, you know, the whole thing. So, um, yeah, that was the reason why we did it eventually. Cause I realized that I could do the very me version of this tradition. I feel like one of those left of center choices was putting uh, John Mayer's St. Patrick's Day on because obviously the, you know, a different holidays right there in the title, but the chorus has that. No one wants to be alone at Christmas time. Christmas time, yeah. I, I'm obsessed with John Mayer, but I never thought of that as going on a Christmas album. So, like, do, are you personally going to be like taking this and turning it into a Christmas standard at this point? I mean, like, I'm not going to flatter myself. I mean, obviously, that would be an unbelievable thing. The, what I was hoping to do with a lot of these songs, look, if I had my way, this whole album it would have been like 30, 40 songs of songs that nobody's ever heard before. <laughs> But I'm not an idiot. Obviously, you have to have the prerequisite amount of songs that people are familiar with and use those as an access point for songs that they're unfamiliar with. So my goal was either to, uh, like three rules. One, if it's a song you know, I have to do it in a way that you've never heard before. Uh, more importantly, I wanted to take a bunch of songs that you don't know and make them feel like you have known them your whole life. And then three, just to do originals and hopefully make them also feel like you've heard them before. I mean, there's a lot of conventions with Christmas music that, again, as an academic of studying these songs, these originals and all the big hits of Christmas that we've known and loved for, for decades. There are certain things that you have to employ that you're allowed to employ, you know, like heavy harmonies, evocative of like the 50s and 60s, high lows, Manhattan transfer. You obviously have your healthy dose of strings you have tubular bells jingle bells chimes um there's a classicism to that that when you hear that you immediately go ah christmas even if you don't have any lyrics about christmas that's the sound we want to hear when we're shopping or waiting in line at the department store if that's even a thing anymore but even that feels like christmas right so even there's a the all the 60s grooves that are now part of the Christmas canon, those Phil Spector tunes, like, you know, all I want for Christmas is you, even though it's obviously a massive hit, this is a song from what, like the nineties that employs the use of those same musical components. So even the Kelly Clarkson song, you know, has the same thing. Right. So I use that for my song Christmas Dance because, and I even saw a comment of like, oh, I'm tired of all these people using this groove. And I'm like, this groove is as invincible as Jingle Bells themselves. Uh, it's, it's what makes you feel like Christmas. Like, even if I sang about something totally different, like make, you know, eating sandwiches on a Tuesday, if that was my hook, as long as it has those sonic elements, you can bring people to Christmas. So having said all that stuff with something like St. Patrick's day, which is uh, make no mistake. It's a song about the holidays. It's about falling in love during the winter time and, you know, hoping that you can make it to a certain part of the year. It's a very cinematic, romantic song. And I've always thought so ever since I, when the album came out, 
when I was in high school, I've always loved that song. It's the album closer. And it's one of my personal favorite John Mayer tunes. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have those musical components thematically it does. So all you have to do is add said bells, strings, harmonies, uh, make it feel like the winter time. So you can kind of keep people into it. I mean, there's another song called welcome home, which is not a Christmas song at all. Welcome home, says the street As I hurry on my way Welcome home, sings It's a song from a 1950s musical no one's ever heard of called Fanny. It was originally sung by Ezio Pinza, who made um, Some Enchanted Evening famous, really robust baritone. If you look it up, it's him going, Welcome home, says Amador. And it's very, like, this sort of bombastic thing that doesn't sound anything like me. But the notion of coming home, welcoming home, you know, other people or yourself for the holidays and seeing the things that are familiar to you is a very strong nostalgic feeling that is associated with the holidays. Okay, so you check, you got the theme, even though you don't bear any mention of Christmas. So how do you make it feel like the holidays? Okay, I know. Let's use Vinstrality as a touchstone. Let's make it sound and feel like Christmas time is here again, you know, with the brushes and the sort of mid-tempo jazz combo feel. Um, we used Waltz for Debbie as kind of a, a template for that, even though Waltz for Debbie isn't a Christmas tune. It's just that Bill Evans, uh, Vince Giraldi, jazz piano sound. If you can employ those, um, again, those conventions, suddenly it feels like a Christmas tune, even though it's a song you've probably never heard before. So just doing that kind of archaeology um, and, uh, and uh, execution with these songs was really, really, really fun for me. And again, why I think it's a very neat thing, because I don't know anybody else that's, you know, trying to put those songs in the album. I think at one point I told the label, I was like, I'm not making this album unless you allow me to do St. Patrick's. Like, I'm not making it without St. Patrick's Day, Welcome Home, and some of the other tunes that I know people did I'm, know. So I short mean, story long, I'm glad you know you like that song, because I love that song. <laughs> I mean, would, well, I mean, would that have actually been an issue? Like, couldn't you, can't you kind of put, I mean, within reason, like kind of whatever you want on an album. Uh, I mean, was that, would that have been like a breaking point, like a deal breaker? You know? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, I'm making it sound like they, they were a hard bargain. It was more just my own. It was probably more to myself than it was to anybody to label. You know, I, right. I would refuse to allow myself to make an album if it didn't have certain tunes on them. Um, Cause it again, wouldn't have been like, a very daring Christmas had it not been for these songs to be perfectly. I, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. I would absolutely agree. So that was kind of the goal. And again, I've been thinking about this for a very, very, very long time. And for many years, you know, like if somebody else put out a Christmas album with St. Patrick's day on it, I would have been so, so upset and frustrated. Cause like, I was like, no, that was my idea. And so, um, yeah, the, the ones that we did on there, I'm, I'm really glad. Cause hopefully back to the point that you, that you were saying about standardizing stuff. Like I would love it if these became like put in this, if they were standardized in the lexicon of Christmas music, but that's a pretty lofty goal, you know? So I'm not going to flatter myself, but you know, even it if happens. the album gets, I feel like Keith and I talked about like, when did um, my favorite things from a sound of music become a Christmas song, for instance, like there's yeah, songs I that know. skip. The one in. that I notice is hallelujah. Uh, I think mm -hmm. it's because it has Christian imagery in it. Yeah. Um, people are doing it a lot. I even did a sort of bait and switch. I did when I was recording Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I did the intro for Hallelujah of the C descending A minor thing on guitar to just like make you think it was Hallelujah, but it's actually Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Mm -hmm. 
And I think Lego was like, can we make this a little more obscure so we don't hear someone understand? I'm like, nobody owns C and A minor. It's the most common like walk down ever. Mm. But, um, you know, I don't know if I'll necessarily get standardized into, I mean, that would be the goal, obviously. But even if I just, if I enter the rotation of people's Christmas albums at home, you know, like that may not make big waves or hit the charts, but that's like a, you know, to be a part of someone's like, it's a very personal thing, the holidays, you know, and those are very dear memories that people end up having. So, you know, I put those memories of my own into this album. So that can be part of other people's experience. And that's, that's a pretty, pretty nice goal. How did you decide which songs that you wanted to be duets and how did you get these people involved specifically? So, I mean, Christmas albums aren't really Christmas album without a, you know, significant amount, a significant amount of uh, collaboration. So that was always in the back of my mind, but I chose the songs and recorded them kind of all without, except for one song that I wrote explicitly as a duet, which is the Laney Wilson tune. And I'll get there last. All of them I just kind of recorded and arranged without another voice. And then after I kind of sat with all my own vocal takes, I decided you know, like what would make these songs different or better. And I always had my eye on making man with the bag of duet, particularly a male and male duet, because it's, it was the only song that lended itself really well. It's not necessarily like a romantic song. So there's no sort of edge of that, of that narrative. It's just kind of a, a, a rollicking tune. Everybody's waiting for the man with the bag. Cause Christmas is here again. And so because it's arranged as this kind of like, like Louis Prima shuffle, it's just got some like masculine energy on it. And for each big song, I would, I would look at all the, you know, for every major Christmas hit, there's like the seminal version and maybe three to four other big versions. Man with the Bag didn't have a whole lot. K-Star kind of has the current monopoly on it. Um, Jesse J put out an incredible arrangement a couple years ago. And Brian Setzer has one too. And they're all very different. So I was like, okay, the only way I can stand out, like I said earlier, how my goal was to do something you've never heard before, was to do it as a duet. And the cool thing about that song is it's a real jazz singer song. You have to like be, have the jazz pedigree to do these kind of chromatic harmonies. And so because it's a very me Christmas, I... This wasn't like me, you know, uh, wasn't the label reaching out to people. It was just me on my phone going, Hey man, you want to do this thing? Wouldn't this be fun? And giving, uh, you know, Adam is such a obviously gifted rock and pop singer, but he comes from jazz, a jazz background. He used to do a lot of jazz singing. He was really thrilled because he's like, nobody ever asks me to do this kind of stuff. So I was like, great, here's the excuse to do it. Let's go. And, um, you know, I'm, I realize how lucky I am to have Adam kind of on speed dial like that. I mean, we've been friends for a long time and to, for him to say yes is, was just a huge, you know, it, it, it's cool when you're arranging harmonies for like a wild stallion, when you know you have at your disposal, that's <laughs> like superhuman. So I can go kind of ham on the way that I arrange things because I know that I have this like superpower at my disposal. So um, that was Adam. And it was it was just such a mensch for saying yes and making it work. Um, Evan Rachel Wood, who is also a friend, you know, a good buddy through, we share a lot of parallels with jumping in between, you know, theater and music and film and 
she's obviously a very gifted singer. I've seen her do a lot of rock stuff. I've seen her do Bowie stuff. I've seen her do punk rock stuff. Um, even, you know, she, she has a beautiful, legit voice. And I guess, you know, fans might've heard her do that for the frozen sequel, but I told her, I was like, I want you to go full David Foster, fucking Susan Boyle, like go for it. Like give me that operatic classic thing because the song that we did is like a boy choir song. It has a classic churchness to it for lack of a better uh, description. And so, um, yeah, I was like, you're doing octaves and you're making it really grand. This is the church song. Um, but she's also a fellow millennial. So we also have a, a, a shared nostalgia for home alone. And uh, that song somewhere in my memory is, uh, is very nostalgic for people. It's, you know, that, that, that movie meant a lot of, uh, meant a lot to a lot of kids at Christmas and still does. So, um, that was a great fit. And then Lainey Wilson was the only person that I didn't know prior to making this album, but because the whole album was made in Nashville with again, the famous Ron Fair. Um, when I got there, I said, I have this song that I've written. That's this sort of ode to the Nashville sound of the fifties. I want like a, a tight wall to wall, you know, male, female harmony, Johnny and June kind of tune who can really make this soar because I love country music, but I'm an outsider. So he immediately said, Lainey Wilson, and this is like February of 2021 and Ron fair. If he hasn't already proved his stripes and instinct over the past couple decades, he said, Lainey Wilson, you want her? Cause not only is she a great person, a great singer, she will have a number one in September of this year. He just called the shot. Very sure. specific. Yeah. <laughs> and wouldn't you, and wouldn't you know it, Lainey Wilson had a number one in September. Like <laughs> if that dude's instincts, uh, it's, it's, he's just incredible. It's like, it's almost like Ron Farron knows his stuff somehow. I don't know how he it's, can it's, it's, the if, it's, it's if he's been doing this. I know it's crazy. So, I mean, look, that's not the only reason why we have her on the record. She's a wonderful human being. And we had lunch, got on like a house on fire. She loved the song and, and recorded it like the next day. So... We're getting drunk, drunk on Christmas It's been a hell of a week With all the parties to drop in And all of that shopping had to promise you that I would You know, this whole album was, like, back to the cheesy title, but it was just a me thing. Ron Fair is an old friend that we've, we've had a lot of history together and we've been trying to make a record for a long time. I think the, the album is a very good representation of who both of us are at our best. I think we work really well together. We have a lot of sensibilities that we were allowed to flex on this album because there's a classicness to it. And our nerdy old fashioned uh, proclivities were, you know, were allowed for this album. Um, but it was just a grassroots family operation between Lainey and, and, uh, and then we, uh, Lizzie McAlpine, who's uh, one of the featured duets in the deluxe album for Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, was like my favorite artist of the past two years. And she's on the up and up and somebody who I greatly admire as a singer-songwriter. Um, and so her voice is on that. So it's just people that I love and wanted to celebrate. Um, the the album is on Decca, and unbelievably, it's your first it's your first album on a major label in the major label universe. I mean, obviously the, the Glee albums were through Sony and Columbia, but that wasn't a Darren Chris project. You've had EPs that have been independently released. You know, the Steve Aoki thing was like through Ultra, but this is like the first time you've put out an album properly on a major label in the yeah, major label studio universe. album, like a studio yes. album. Yeah. Um, is this the start of something perhaps where you might have other projects come out through DECA or through UMG, or is this kind of a one-off or is there anything you can say about that at all? Yeah, sure. I mean, this was, this was a one-off because, you know, I've operated mainly as a, as an indie artist because I've, I've had the, you know, 
uh, good fortune of, of being able to, I think being able to fly on your own is, uh, is the result of already having preexisting, uh, resources that can allow you to do that. Um, I'm very lucky to have a preexisting fan base that has been very kind to me. So there's, we tend to live on the indie circuit just because it's an easier way to navigate the multi, like the, the hyphenate thing. Cause you know, if I, if I'm just on a label being a recording artist, the flexibility becomes more difficult simply by nature of, you know, going to do a show or probably doing it, like the stuff that is difficult is, is the stuff that I, I'm, I'm very uh, grateful kind of makes me, me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the indie uh, um, road allows us to maintain all those other plates spinning. But when you're making a Christmas album during a pandemic and you have the time, Christmas album infrastructure like said, helps a lot. The infrastructure, the infrastructure is, yes. is, is so helpful. And also it, it, it the, the Christmas circuit, like the promotional circuit for the Christmas albums are stuck in time. Like they're, 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 it's, you know, the, the lighting of the Christmas trees and all these events and these sort of keystone the Thanksgiving day, Christmas parade Christmas, that you Macy's Thanksgiving parade. Exactly. This is exactly, they've been around since like the forties and fifties and they are, um, you really need the the firepower to be able to do stuff. And by the way, the album that I wanted to make, I like just the sonically of what I wanted to accomplish. I simply did not have the bandwidth to do that on my own. I would have hated to have cut corners with this album. It operates by an old fashioned by the old guard. And so you want to employ the use of the old guard and it was an excellent collaboration and it's, it's been really fun. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know if I would have done that for my own stuff, but for something as classic as Christmas, you need to, to you know, employ the use of the classic powers that be. So it was a really great experience. I'm I'm really happy that we did it for this one. And it's Decca too. Decca is like one of these classic, you know, Absolutely. labels that um, have a ton of you know great Christmas albums under their belt. Yeah. You mentioned like hoping to kind of join the rotation of people's, you know, Christmas listening. And it got me thinking, cause I'm a mother of two and you were about to be a dad. Did you kind of have that in your mind when you were recording? Like, man, maybe I'll be listening to this with my family in the coming years, you know, it's going to become part of your tradition. Well, the album is arguably one of the more personal things I've ever made because the entire time you're making it. And I wrote this in my, in my liner notes that I know nobody reads, but I encourage you to do if you're, if you're interested. Um, I was wondering while I was making the album, like, am I just sipping the Kool-Aid? Cause I've been thinking about like the holidays all year. And am I just thinking that the holidays are a bigger deal than they really are? And then I realized something which was kind of profound, which was, you know, the, some of the most cherished valued moments of togetherness and family and love and all those things that, you know, all the homework cards talk about that I've ever felt in my entire life consistently was during the holidays. It's during Christmas. It's like the joy of being a child, the joy of being a brother, a son, a mother, you know, it's all these beautiful family moments happen in this really concentrated, very romantic time that happens once a year. And then I, then I got to thinking, for all the shit that human beings do to each other, it is pretty remarkable that once a year, most of the globe proactively subscribes to these ideals, being grateful, loving each other, all that good stuff. And we actually slow down, like work, it stops and we just chill out. And that's a pretty profound place to exist. If you're meditating in that space all year, 
in a, in a, in a recording studio and you're thinking about that. So I was really reflecting on my own life, my own family. And a lot of that sentiment is baked into this album. And that's not just like a frilly PR line. Like these songs really had a lot of personal things. I was thinking of, you know, my mom and my brother and a lot of songs that we grew, you know, like again, welcome home isn't just some random song. It was from my first musical I ever did in, your, in, 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 in San Francisco with a company called 42nd Street Moon. So that's a song that we played and loved singing where we'd come home for the holidays. Um, I want to have a pot for Christmas. Yes, it's a funny take on like a song on a novelty song where I kind of flip the script on it. But this is a song that my mom would like lip sync and dance around our living room to every Christmas. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas Only a hippopotamus will do I don't want a doll No dinky tinker toy I want a hippopotamus to play with and enjoy uh, I changed I some of the lyrics to a Flair Dane Aaron's tune that, that most people probably don't know called all those Christmas cliches I turned this sort of mid-tempo ballad into an up-tempo Bobby Darren thing and I like made lyrics about my father and about how he made a goose every year. And I even changed the lyrics of where I've spent Christmas to the places that I've spent Christmas in my life. So the entire album has things that are extremely personal to me. So yes, I thought about my own family and the family to be. And um, yeah, that's, that's like I said in the beginning, like I, I didn't want this to look like just some commercial cash grab. This is a very sentimental, personal thing and i think like most of the work that i do on the surface i crack jokes i make it look very cheeky i don't take myself seriously at all but i take my work very seriously and there is a big beating heart underneath all of the songs on this album and uh yeah i think i think i managed to put that in there um a few more things and then we'll let you go uh, and then i you can put it wherever you want i was going to say i had two points that i wanted to make but i'm waiting to see if there's a question that i can <laughs> wedge that into well i want to i, I mean, thought of we want to be we want to be sensitive of your time so if you wanted to go ahead and add something else please yeah. feel free well i think you could tack this on to we were talking about the old-fashioned christmas circuit and something that my manager made a really good point about which is exciting is that you know these albums uh, it's, it's all about the long game in general. I'm about the long game. I'm all about sustainability. You know, it's not like a quick grab and go kind of thing. We want to establish things over a long period of time. And, uh, Christmas albums are the epitome of that because there is a market activation once a year. So you don't make a Christmas album to have it smash when you come out, just hit it and quit it. It's so you can set yourself up to, to hopefully tour and play gigs for this Christmas album, hopefully for the rest of my life. And, uh, he made a really good point that he's like, every year is one month because the second month of promotion for this album is 2022 month three is 2023, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's amazing that like, you know, even on this, on the Christmas promo circuit, I'm seeing people that make Christmas albums a year, two years, four years, five years, six years ago, because suddenly you have an album that you can, you can talk about. I mean, if you're, you know, if I'm Harry Styles and I put out an album, you know, in March, it's not like it's six years from then in March, people are like, ah, oh, yes, it's the season of that album. It's like, no, he has to make the new thing. So it, like I said, in the very beginning, it's this amazing anomaly that uh, is, is really fun. Um, because you're not promoting yourself. You're, you're adding to 
what people are already into, which is the holiday season and stuff. So I look forward to being able to play this for the rest of my life. And I'm really proud of the, the songs that we have. And uh, I had such a good time with this. Like, you know, I, I, again, it could have been like a hundred song album. Um, the second <laughs> thing I was going to say that I wrote on this out uh, that I wrote in the liner notes is for me, I think I'm realizing, and I really realize as well, making this album is that, you know, my favorite thing to do, and I've done this throughout all walks of my career, even my crazy Spotify playlist thing, story that I said before this interview, which I guess I'll sidebar right now. I took a picture of Spotify and it was a couple of weeks ago and it was the most colorful, eclectic, weird collection of songs that had no business being together. It was uh, Drunk on Christmas, which was like a, a country duet uh, from my Christmas album. Then it was like a Steve Aoki EDM cover of a Dave Matthews song. Then it was a song that I did for a Muppets Halloween special, which is this sort of weird, spooky, classic thing for, you know, that time of the year. Uh, then there was like a big band duet with Adam Lambert from the Christmas album. The final one was a song, a cover that I did on, <laughs> on the flash, all these songs wildly different. And I was just like, you know what? I'm really proud of that. I don't know what else doing that. But the point I'm making is like, there is a, uh, uh, a consistency, even when on Glee or before Glee, where I was just playing in bars and putting stuff on YouTube is I think my skill, my skill set. And the thing that I enjoy doing the most is curating and interp interpolating, uh, music and, uh, and, and doing my own thing on songs that, that exist already, even though I love songwriting and that's, that's always something that'll call to me. I like just rethinking what people I, I like encouraging or giving people an opportunity to rethink what they think they know. And, uh, that's something I've always done. Again, it was happening. Glee, all these songs where you take a thing that, you know, and spin it. Well, theater so, for sure too. Yeah, yeah. You do that in theater when you do it with standards. And, uh, that's kind of the, the goal with this album. I mean, like, I think singing to me is my least interesting skill. It's, it's my weakest strength. Um, I, I don't have a particularly massive instrument. You know, there are certain people that you would put in the category of singer. I'm definitely not that guy. I'm the music guy that can interp interpolate and make it work for me and hopefully make it accessible for my voice and make it interesting and different and very unique to my own thing, which is something I've learned to embrace over years and years and years of a crippling inferiority complex about my singing voice because I spend my time with like obscenely good gifted vocalists and, you know, I have certain limitations. And so my main skill, I think is the curation and interpolation. It's as really I said. hard so that's for us what to I understand to like you not thinking of yourself I, I, I as a singer, that. but I understand your fishing. context, your context. Yes, the is context different. is like the, the skill is the thing or, or the thing that I enjoy the most is the thing that you don't see that you right. don't hear. It's the stuff behind it, the hours and hours and hours of, arranging, editing, you know, putting together, producing is, is the thing that I think really is the most work that I put onto this album and music in general. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost. Uh, you have two concerts coming up. One on December 20th at the Beacon Theater in New York, which will also be live streamed, hallelujah. And one on December 31st in San Francisco at Davies Symphony Hall with the San Francisco yes. Orchestra. What can we expect from these shows, Darren? Well, the Beacon show is sort of the flagship show for the whole album. 
Um, and I'm really, really, really glad that we get to live stream because not everybody uh, is in New York City, I realize. Hmm. So um, that's going to be the first time we play these songs, you know, or at least the whole album for, uh, you know, public audience other than this, the few uh, press hits that we've done for some of the shows, uh, for the talk shows and stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's that. I mean, it's going to be me and the band doing the album as best as we can um, with a whole bunch of special guests. There's a lot of um, people from the album that they may or may not show up. Um, some other friends in New York. That, well, that's uh, a tease. Well, we, that's a tease. Yeah. I think it's pretty obvious who will probably be there. Um, and then I've actually hit up a, I, I, I'm not very good with social media, but I do use social media platforms as like TV. I think a lot of people would agree that TikTok, I tell people TikTok is just TV when they don't get it. I go, it's TV, except it's curated to you. And, uh, even like more so than, you know, the, the streaming networks. And I just watch, follow and comment and love a bunch of amazing musicians, particularly young folks who are in school or just really, really talented young musicians. I just follow them and I love them. And so I picked some of my favorite New York musicians to join me. Awesome. Um, uh, I'll be able to introduce them when they, when they come on, uh, come to the show on the 20th, but I mean, hell, I'll just, I'll just say them now. I just, yeah, I'm like, worried, I mean, like, Sam. If, if, if some, <laughs> if someone has to like cancel, I'll be really bummed, but there's a saxophone player who I've been obsessed with for years, a kid by the name of Augie Bello, fantastic sax player. Um, a wonderfully funny, very talented jazz trumpet, uh, girl named, uh, Kellen. I think it's Hanas Hannes, H A N A S. Uh, she has an amazing TikTok account where she's an RA. Uh, and I think of the Manhattan, is it Manhattan college of music school of music? I forget what the, the school is but she's an ra and she just makes these like really awesome jazz videos that that are super funny and uh so i just fell in love with her and asked her if she'd join us and she said yes and then there's a kid by the name and i hope i'm pronouncing his name last name correctly but grayson Nakrutman, who i think is the second coming of buddy rich um and he's uh he's gonna sit down on a song or two so all these really talented kids that i just watch with my jaw on the floor uh, on, on my phone. Um, so they're going to be joining us some great singers. Um, so that'll be the beacon show and that'll be broadcast to the world. And then the San Francisco gig is one that was actually set in place like a while ago, even before we kind of knew we had all this Christmas stuff at our disposal. It's just cause I'm from San Francisco. It's a bit of a homecoming show. And I used to go see the San Francisco symphony play at Davies symphony hall. So it's, uh, it's pretty amazing that I'll have an orchestra at my disposal for these tunes on this album, which are quite big. I mean, it's a big album. So I need a, a record label to help me pay for it, man. I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of music. So uh, this, the San Francisco gig will be, uh, it'll be after Christmas, but I think, you know, people will give me a little bit of leeway if I play some of the songs from that album, but it'll be a big homecoming show. Um, and just a whole lot of holiday music. I mean, the New York one is special because it's New York city during Christmas time. It'll be just a few days before Christmas. And then San Francisco will be special because we have the power of this amazing orchestra and it's a homecoming show. So there's a lot of, uh, sentiment in either one, you know, because it'll be, because this album is, you know, it's about, it's, it's, it's about a kid from San Francisco having the holidays. So that'll be really nice. It's coming on Christmas, they're cutting down trees. They're putting up rain, they're singing songs of joy and peace. So I wish I had a river. I could skate away. Thank you, Darren, so much for coming. Thank we you. really appreciate Thank it. You. it and um and Merry Christmas and Merry happy Christmas. holidays and happy new year and all of that. 
Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you for giving me a space to be my chatty self and let me ramble on about something <laughs> I really care about. So I, it's nice to have this. Get up, get down. Come on, it's Christmas. Rocking around. Come on, it's Christmas time again. Thank you so much to Darren for taking the time to speak with us. Believe it or not, this is his sixth time on the show. But my first time being involved in a pop shop interview with him. I've talked to him before, but this is my first pop shop interview with Darren. So Keith's Keith's spoken with him exclusively five times. (laughs) And one of those times I wrote him all down. One of those times he actually guest hosted the podcast. You know, I almost suggested because I actually saw that that episode. Um. I was actually going to suggest that he he should have maybe guest hosted this episode. He could have guest hosted our Christmas episode. So we'll get we'll get he, you again I for mean, guest hosting, he, Darren. He kind of did. I mean, yes, uh, Darren, Darren, Darren was very gracious with his time and 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 talked to us for for a, 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 a good long time about the new album. And he's clearly very passionate about it. And um, uh, it's always it's always so great to talk to him. And he's been a friend of the pod for a long time. So anyway, and, uh, um, love you, Darren. Chris actually also um, continues our tradition of having a Christmas themed guest on uh, during the holidays. This is our sixth year in a row with a festive holiday guest interview, Keith. And it started with a phone interview I did back in 2016 with the legend Darlene Love, uh, who, of course, is behind uh, the classic Phil Spector Christmas song, Christmas, baby, please come home. And then Keith had, who did you have in 2017, Keith? Johnny Blinken Mathis. Johnny Mathis, <laughs> Johnny people. Mathis. Come, come on. on. <laughs> and then I had on the phone uh, Gwen Stefani in 2018, who, of course, has her own Christmas album. And then finally, Katie and I actually got to talk to someone together when yes. Dina Menzel came into the off. No, did she come in? No, it was over the phone. No, right? it was over the phone, but we were That's together. Right. In 2019. And then, then in 2020, we did a Zoom interview together with Josh Groban. But that was over video. Yeah. Yes. That was, yes. Yes. So it he was actually pandemic style. Yes. That was that was Zoom. Yes. <laughs> but like, but the, the uh, yeah, I was I was like, it's so weird how um, these have ended up. But um, yeah, what what a what a stellar lineup. And it's and it's uh, it really great is. that we keep this tradition going. It'd be a great Christmas mixtape that that crew. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 just as diverse as uh, the list of uh, sort of <laughs> eclectic Chris. as Darren Chris's <laughs> eclectic songs that he's recorded. <laughs> All right, well now uh, it is time for the chart stat of the week, and it's another quiz, Katie. Oh dang! Okay, all right. Hey, I've just found these are fun to do. And I mean, I love it. You know, I love trivia. Um, I am very often stumped, but I do love this. Well, okay, so I know we played a game recently. A quiz, Katie, that was um, testing Katie's knowledge of Christmas albums that had reached the top 10 on the Billboard 200. But I thought, well, let's just make it easier. Katie, which of these artists has not had a number one on the Billboard 200 with a Christmas album? Okay. And, And to be specific, we mean... Since the Billboard 200 began publishing on a regular weekly basis in March of 1956. So, which of these four artists has not had a number one on the Billboard 200 with a Christmas album? Justin Bieber, Bing Crosby, Celine Dion, 
or Elvis Presley? Which of those four has not had a number one on the Billboard 200 with a Christmas album? Okay, I feel I feel confident that Justin Bieber's Christmas album did go number one. That was during my era. So how confident do you feel? I'm going to drop him off of my list of possibilities. So mm-hmm. and then I'm wondering, I kind of feel like Celine did, too. And so then I'm thinking it's one of those like, you know, we're going to be surprised questions that either Bing or Elvis did not have a Billboard 200 number one with a Christmas album, which is hard to believe because those were such perennial classics in people's homes. Maybe it's too hard to believe and maybe you're convincing <laughs> maybe yourself I'm the wrong, wrong way. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a hint or if you're trying to mislead me. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm going to say I'm going to say Bing Crosby. You would be wrong. <laughs> Am I wrong if I guess Elvis too? You're wrong. So is it Celine? Celine Dion is the one ah, of those four that has not gone to number one with a Christmas album. Well, so I'll, I'll I'll recap these for you. Yes. Justin Bieber hit number one in 2011 with Under the Mistletoe. Bing Crosby, uh, his very famous Christmas album, which is called Merry Christmas, it was actually released in 1945 and hit number one on our pop albums chart in every season for six consecutive seasons from 1945 through 1950. Yeah, I guess that was number one then. <laughs> then the album also hit number one in 1957 when the Billboard 200 was officially underway, as we consider it. Okay. Elvis's. Elvis's Christmas album uh, hit number one in 1957. In fact, uh, the same month as Bing Crosby's Mm. Merry Christmas. And Celine Dion, These Are Special Times, Mm -hmm. peaked at number two. Which, of course, had Oh Holy Night, her just entire, like, just heart-rending rendition of Oh Holy Night, which I heard on the radio today. Oh, I was like, wow, did you pull that one out of the (laughs) thin air? Uh, Well, it peaked at number two uh, for two weeks. In 1998, can you take a wild guess what album it was stuck behind for both of those two weeks? So it was late 1998, effectively like December, like November of 1998. Um, Are we talking about a boy band situation? No, I will. Am I close? No, Mm. no. I will just say it is male superstar of the 90s. Oh, like. Continuously racking up number one albums in the 1990s. But it's not a rapper. I need another hit. Um, uh, I, I doubt this person has ever had a what anyone would consider a hit single on pop radio. Mm. Yet they've had many number ones on the Billboard 200 albums. Oh, interesting. And wow. have sold tens of millions of albums and filled arenas and stadiums stadiums yeah in fact central park i believe at one point 90s male superstar stadium act i got yep. like all the nothing i i do not know what direction this is you're gonna, gonna be. feel so goofy when you don't get this like I will when say- when was his like when did he come on the scene? Like when was his breakthrough? I, I think I think I think he initially put out an album maybe like in 89 or 90, I think. Wow, who is this going to be? But he was just like 
in I mean, he's he is still a superstar. Oh, ooh, Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks. Hey, there we go. But here's like the thing that was number one. It was a live album called Double Live. Garth. Garth. Unstoppable. Unstoppable. So there's your chart set of the week. A fun little quiz, Katie, about uh, number one albums on the Billboard 200 that were also Christmas albums. Okay, we've reached the end of our big uh, shoe. Any parting words, Katie? Well, something I did not tell Darren during our interview was that when we ranked among the staff the best Christmas songs of all time, my number one and my number two on my list were both on his album. The uh, I have Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire was my number one and Happy Holidays, which we jokingly sang at the beginning of this show, my number two. Darren's versions were on your. No, I'm saying those songs. So then when I heard his Christmas album, I was like, he has picked my two all time favorite Christmas songs to put on his album. That's actually pretty amazing. Obviously, they're favorites, but still. So Um, and also something that I didn't bring up in the interview um but i mentioned in our intro to it i was wildly surprised and kind of delighted by his arrangement of joni mitchell's river Mm. which i did i i wanted i really wanted to ask him about it but we didn't just didn't have enough time but you would not expect someone to do river in the way that he did where it basically sounds like a phil specter wall of sound Mm -hmm. be my baby but Joni Mitchell's River, and it turns it into basically a da 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 Christmas song. You're like, this is just okay, sure. And that's yeah, that's, it was always like a tangentially Christmas song before, and now, yeah, right, yeah. Well, that's I mean, that's kind of what he did with this album, right? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, there's there's been your Darren Chris infomercial. <laughs> <laughs> We're fans. Um, We're fans. Um, all right. And um, what song should we go out on? Well, what do you have a number one, Keith? Your favorite? Oh no, this is no. This is, I know. This is I mean, what... I I feel like when we, you interviewed Johnny Mathis, that was like what soundtracked your childhood, right? Like, yeah, no, I I do have I do have distinct memories of listening to Johnny Mathis's Christmas album on vinyl when I was little. I yeah. do remember that. Um, I mean, we can go out on an old chestnut from our gal Madonna. Sure. Uh, Santa Baby. Yes. <laughs> I love this plan. Uh, okay, uh, we'll go out on that and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Santa Baby, slip a sable under the tree for me. Being an awful good girl, Santa Baby. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.